When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. It is Saturday, November 21st. It's time for the interview. And we're going off a little bit from our normal script of financial folks or uh, entrepreneurs. We are talking to William Bratton. Bill Bratton, he has served two terms as New York City Police Commissioner. He was the commissioner of the Boston Police Department, chief of the Los Angeles Police Department. He is now a consultant at a firm called Teneo. I know Bill through his wife, Ricky Kleeman, who is also at CBS. And he was kind enough to spend some time with us for the weekend pod because we really wanted to talk about the state of policing and also the state of cities. He happens to have a lot of insight about those. So here is the first part of our interview with Bill Bratton. You have a multi-decade, four, almost five decades career in law enforcement. You are now working for a consulting firm called Teneo. You are the executive chairman of Risk Advisory. And we thought it would be really interesting to bring you on to talk a bit about how you see the future of cities and really what you believe to be what the the best response to the various outbreaks of civil unrest that we've seen across the country. I also have to put this out there because I remember maybe, it was probably a few years ago when we were at dinner and I said, what's the thing that scares you the most? And you said, what? You said to me, well, you know, homegrown terrorism. So now I'll ask you that question again. It's 2020. The election has passed. What scares you most as you look at the landscape of really safety in America? The threat picture has changed dramatically in the last year or so. And certainly since we had that conversation and the relatively simplistic answer I gave you, the concern about homegrown terrorism in its various forms, whether it be the militias of the far right or some of the uh, groups on the far left, but when I was talking about homegrown terrorism at that time, it was more around the idea of the ISIS-influenced uh, characters who were being recruited to almost 50,000 of them went to Syria to fight for ISIS. But those at home that could be inspired to create acts of terrorism. And New York City, unfortunately, over the last several years, has had several of those events. But the threat picture now, I think, is uh, multifaceted. The virus, uh, coronavirus, is certainly a threat uh, in so many ways. Uh, you comment about the future of cities. Cities are celebrated for the ability for people to convene, to get together. That's what, that's what makes them so powerful. The idea of the collaboration can occur. So we now have a virus that is uh, tearing at the fabric of what makes cities so essential and so important. We also have a phenomenal set of societal pressures underway, a lot of them focused around the issues of race and with race uh, joined at the hip with the issue of the movement for criminal justice reform, 
A uh, other area of concern is certainly the world that we become so dependent on, and that is the world of technology and the multiple threats that presents. Multiple threats being the idea of cybercrime in all of its many forms, that uh, whether it's the business community being hacked or individual people's identity being stolen, there's just no end to the uh, concerns about cybercrime hacking. Uh, we certainly had that concern in the run up to the uh, national election. There is also the issue of violence, which has once again surfaced in almost every one of our major cities, whether Democrat or Republican control. Compounding that issue is so much of that violence is uh, in the Black and Latino community, particularly in the Black communities. We're finding a community that's been so affected negatively by systemic racism and by race issues is also being impacted uh, out of proportion to the numbers by the virus, out of proportion to the numbers by the economic issues that you report so eloquently on, and also by issues of crime where the current crime increases are primarily centered in those minority communities. The simple answer I gave you a year, two years ago, whenever we had that conversation, like so much in 2020 has become much more complex. If you were still running a major city police department and you ran New York and you ran Boston, you ran Los Angeles, how do you message from the top to help the the people who are out on the streets, the, the police men and women out on the streets, balance the real vitriol that can come from crowds, but also understanding, as you said, that these are people who are disproportionately impacted by the virus. And clearly, we've had incidents uh, across the country where police officers have gone too far, specifically with people of color. So how do you balance that? Well, that becomes the challenge for, in my case, in terms of the world I spent so much of my time in, the public world of policing, and particularly as a police leader. There's a number of pillars that uh, any police chief to be successful has to be able to stand on a platform that is on those pillars. And the pillars are you have to be able to interact with the political world. You have to be able to interact with your internal world, the men and women that work with you, for you. You have to be able to interact uh, successfully with the communities that you're serving. And then uh, fourthly, uh, there's the issue of dealing with the business community. And another one is the, uh, the media. You are so dependent on the media getting it right. And in this era of so much concern around fake news, we have so many streams of information coming at us and the ability to filter out what's real and what's not real, what's biased, what's not biased. So for a police leader, if I were still police commissioner in New York and my very able successor, Dermot Shea, is wrestling with these issues now, he has these pillars that he has to be able to successfully address to get them all network with each other and not easy to do. It's like a doctor treating a patient that's got multiple illnesses and certain illnesses prioritize over others that uh, as the doctor is trying to make the patient well. And that's what's going on in American policing at the moment that uh, you're trying to satisfy the very diverse communities. You're trying to be responsive to the incredibly complex politics of our country today and the world for that matter. You're trying to be constantly mindful of the media how do you interact with them? And then uh, that fourth pillar, your troops, the men and women who are right now in America being disparaged so unnecessarily. 
So the challenges for American police chiefs are profound, and many of them are not up to the task. Many others, ironically, who were, are leaving. The question that I would ask is, you know, it seems like these police departments sort of run as fiefdoms, right? Should there be some sort of nationalized standard around policing in the United States? It seems like a New York City cop seems to be acting very differently than a St. Louis cop. Should we have some sort of national standards? That's a great question, and uh, I'm very supportive of more national standards. uh, I would describe myself as uh, probably one of America's most well-known progressive reform police chiefs. I consciously go into departments in crises, did that in Boston, did that in uh, New York Transit, New York City, 94, certainly in L.A. in 2002, where it was under the federal consent decree, and then coming back to New York in 2014, when it was in crises around the race issues, around stop, question, and frisk. There are 18,000, approximately, we don't even have an actual number of how many police departments are there in America, but there's about 18,000. They all have, by and large, their own policies, procedures, uh, guidelines. We all have different training standards. Some places train officers very well when they first begin their career. Some do not. Uh, I was out in the streets of Boston with less than 12 weeks of training back in 1970. The only national guidelines, by and large, we have are those constitutional guidelines, Supreme Court decisions. In my case, as a police chief, no city, no department I have ever worked with is the same. It's like human beings that Mm. a doctor looks at you, uh, looks at me. He's going to prescribe different levels of medicine, even though we have the same illness. Similarly, policing, each city, each town, each village has a different set of issues. Policing is constantly evolving. It's like medicine is constantly evolving. It's like dealing with this virus. We're constantly evolving. And remember when it first started, uh, Dr. Fauci was encouraging us not to wear masks. Well, that changed. We evolved. And now the idea of uh, the many different things that we know about this virus that we didn't a year ago. Crime is no different. And the issue of uh, how to deal with it. So uh, I'm optimistic that out of out of this crisis will come incredible challenges and but challenges that can be met uh, in an informed way, informed by the past things that worked and didn't work. I would think that learning from your mistakes, looking at the past and evolving is a critical aspect of being a good leader. And I'm wondering what you think are other characteristics that good leadership brings. You know, you talked about those pillars, you know, interacting with the political world, the internal world, the communities uh, at large, the business community, the media. But what else amid a crisis, what lessons have you specifically learned that you think could be applied to any leader today? The essentiality is collaboration. And what is not happening in America today, particularly in our political world, collaboration. We're into trenches throwing hand grenades at each other. Leadership is about the ability to find common ground, the essentiality of basically reaching out to people to find that common ground. It has to be something in it for everybody. And it's also about risk-taking. It's also about the idea of vision. 
It's the idea also of picking a great team. Jim Collins' wonderful book, Good to Great, the idea, I use the bus analogy all the time because it's what I've done in every department I've led. You got a bus, you want to get the right people on the bus, get the wrong people off the bus as fast as you can. You want to get the right people in the right seats, but as you're going down the road, as you're evolving, as you're continuing on your journey, you're moving people around on the bus, different seats. And at the same time, you're ensuring that when the time comes for you to get off the bus, that there's somebody there that can hop into that driver's seat and continue going down the path that you set. Okay, it's Saturday. I know you want to get together with your family. I know you want to get together with some friends. Don't forget to wash your hands, wear your masks, maintain your physical distancing. Stay outside, everyone. That's the key. Do not go inside if you can help it. All right? Do something nice for someone else today. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.